Improve your performance on rotations. Provide the excellent care that your patients deserve and distinguish yourself among your peers as a student leader in the social mission of medicine. Attend an AMSA fall conference and enhance your professional development by engaging with experts, clinicians, and researchers in topics that aren't well covered in the medical school curriculum. The first AMSA fall conference will be held in New York City on November 14th. The second will be in Chicago on November 21st. For more information, please visit amsafallconference.org. Welcome to AMSA AdLib. This is Christine. What's it like to interview for a residency position in neurosurgery? How does it compare to interviewing in other specialties? In this episode, we listen in as then AMSA board members Trip Hines, Sahar Barfchin, and Janelle Johnson join Vice President for Programming Development Perry Tsai to share their experiences and questions. When the discussion took place earlier this year, Tripp had just finished his residency interviews in neurosurgery, and Zahar had just wrapped up her interviews with pediatrics programs. Here's Perry. All right, so Tripp, uh, earlier Sahar and I were talking about matching or residency and like how we chose your specialty. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about how you came to choose your specialty? Sure, absolutely. So I got interested in neurosurgery first semester of anatomy in medical school. Uh, during head and neck, I, that was absolutely my favorite section of all of anatomy. And so that Christmas break, went back home, contacted one of the neurosurgeons I'd worked with the year before, and he let me come shout to him, let me actually scrub into the OR, and getting hands-on, and I can remember distinctly the first time I saw like a craniectomy and saw the brain pulsating. Oh my gosh. With like the heart, I was hooked. I, I absolutely fell in love with it. I was like, I don't want to do anything else. This is Aww. awesome. So ever you, were, you were a first year med student? Uh, yeah, that was first and year. And that guy just like let you come in with him. Yeah. That's awesome. Let me, he's like, here, you can put in this screw. And he was like guiding my hand, but He's like, all right, you tell them when you want them to shoot wow. the fluoro and everything. Nice. So, Did you have steady hands? Were you shaking that first time? Uh, I was probably shaking a little bit, but kind of once you, you can almost rest your hands like on the field and uh-huh. kind of use that to support yourself. So You're a natural, maybe. Uh, you're not going to admit to it, but you're probably a natural. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> He's too modest. <laughs> I am dying to know what your interview experience was like for residency interviews because I applied into pediatrics and I just imagine that my interviews were very different than yours. Sure. So, you know, it varies, of course, from program to program as always, but for neurosurgery is very small kind of network. So... Everyone knows everyone, uh, it seems like. And each time you would meet with every single faculty member. About how many is that? Well, sometimes it was up to one place I interviewed, had 18 (gasps) interviews. No. Over two days was one place. But probably on average, 10. And sometimes they would double up, have like two or three interviewers at the same time, but... Like a committee interview? Yeah, almost almost sometimes. 
But so you interviewed with a lot of people and then even in some places you interviewed with every single pair of residents. So PGY one through PGY seven. Mm. So <laughs> Wow. And what kind of stuff did y'all talk about? I mean, anything and everything. I know one one guy was talking about he's basically the NASA neurosurgeon. Wow. And I didn't know there was such a position. He <laughs> the, Yeah, I didn't either. And he sees all the patients for, for NASA that have any sort of neurosurgical issue. Are you trying to say that he sees aliens and you're just not allowed to say <laughs> Well, I mean, that's classified, so. <laughs> I'm not privy to that kind of information. <laughs> uh, there's some conversations, some interviews were nothing even neurosurgical related. Right. And... Uh, one guy I met is the NASCAR neurosurgeon. So if in the These NASCAR, interesting like sub sub yes. uh, subspecialty. <laughs> so it's it's very cool though. Um, yeah, there's for those of us not in surgical fields, there's this kind of uh, rumor that for the surgical interviews they make you actually do things with your hands and um, like little exercises to see your dexterity. Is that true at all? I've heard those rumors. I personally was never asked to do any of that. Okay. They're probably I, just staring at your hands. And you, the whole time. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I know probably when you go back for second looks, I'm sure they're uh, looking at yes. that when you're in the OR. I know for, I've heard ortho and some of the other specialties. Sometimes they'll make you with like chopsticks and picking up cubes and like stacking them and some other hmm. like you've dexterity. Heard firsthand uh, witness accounts of that. Yeah, oh, wow. <laughs> not just more rumors yeah. on rumors. <laughs> on rumors. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I I never had to do any of that, but. Well, I feel like if any field needs to know how steady and skilled your hands are, it would be neurosurgery. So. Yeah. That's very interesting. Let me ask you this one other thing that I just am very curious about. Um, your interviews, were they high pressure? Do, do you think they were trying to challenge you or see how you do with pressure or just ask you very hard hitting questions? Because uh, in pediatrics, it's all happy and flowers, it really is. <laughs> yeah. I never, for the majority, they were all laid back for the most part. Okay. I had a couple where I was like, I'm on the hot seat. Sweating a little. <laughs> they're like, might say something to kind of see if he'll throw you off. And um, so, yeah. Okay. It, it wasn't crazy. It, it, they were all pretty laid back. I was just wondering, because I'm not even to the interview process yet, um, what are some types of questions that they ask? I'm sure for every interview it's going to be different, but, I mean, there's got to be some sort of general pattern. I was mentioning this earlier, but the questions that I expected and the questions that I got were quite different. Um, I didn't get asked as often as I thought about the classic things like, why do you want to go into this field and what, you know, I did actually get asked quite often, what do you see yourself doing let's say five to 10 years after 
now or after residency. That I certainly got questions about. But um, but I also just got random questions about things in my application, maybe more related to lifestyle and or um, my extracurriculars like AMSA activities. I definitely got asked on, gosh, I wouldn't say every interview, but at least every place I interviewed, I at least got asked why I went into this and why I went into medicine and where I see myself in five to 10 years. There were some oddball questions. Like, what was the if, weirdest? If I was a cereal, what would I be and C- why? Cereal, like breakfast cereal? Like breakfast cereal. What did you say? Are you allowed to I, tell us? I would really love I, to know. I think so. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, w- I said cinnamon toast crunch because it's one of a kind, it's unique. It is unique. That's a good question. (laughs) The first thing that popped into my head was Frosted Flakes, but not for any reason or anything. (laughs) Just, I think that's just the first cereal that came into my head. Is there like a magic answer to the where you see yourself in five years? Are you always supposed to stay like, oh, I see myself here at this hospital or like... Oh God, no. (laughs) It's more general. It's like, do you see yourself maybe more academic or are you going to be private-based? Are you going to be in a large town, small town? Uh, like for me, I always enjoyed teaching, so I always would say, want to be somewhere where there's med students rotating or residents that I can teach and work with, and that's something I've always really enjoyed, something like that. So it's not, you don't have to be like, I want to be at this place and et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. It's, it's more generous. Yeah. I assume they're either just genuinely curious where you will be or where you think you will be, or they just want to know that you thought ahead a little, more than, you know, nine months ahead. <laughs> the other thing that I found odd is I've actually, and I don't know if you came across this, but I had several interviews where I sat down and they didn't want to ask me a single question. They just wanted me to ask questions of them, Um, which I think is good to know to be prepared for because, of course, you go in there with questions that you have thought of beforehand, but maybe not an hour's worth of questions is a lot. So you should probably have a backup set just in case. It can be painstaking, especially if that person you're interviewing with is like at the end of the day and you have one where walk in hi nice to meet you what questions do you have (laughs) (laughs) and that's like the whole interview yeah it was that can be painful sometimes because you'd rather just have a conversation and not have to be asking questions all the time and Um, you feel this pressure to keep shooting off questions or else look disinterested, which isn't necessarily true, but maybe, you know, maybe I don't don't actually have any more questions by the time I got to my last interviewer, but yeah. you have to, you have to ask and something. Is research something that you guys were asked about a lot? Because I personally don't have any research publications yet. I don't know if I, I will, but like, sometimes I feel like that's a, a disadvantage to me. And so I don't know if if that's something that they really look for, or it's just... Well, do you specifically mean publications or having done research at all? I guess publications, I guess. Okay. I think it depends on where you're applying, but 
most places, at least one person is asking. Some places are more clinical based. They, they don't really care. And but some fields. In some fields, it's extremely variable. But for me, most places I went asked me about research. They're like, well, tell me about what you worked on, even though ended up not having a publication. So if anything, I would recommend at least having case reports or, or something like that, even if you don't have that at your school, and which kind of brings up another thing is coming from a smaller school. If you're coming from a smaller school that doesn't have the particular program for what you're wanting to go into. So if your school doesn't have orthopedics or for mine doesn't have neurosurgery and you don't realize until you get out there on the road and meet some of the other candidates and and start talking to other faculty and they're like some realize they're like you you have to work really hard coming from a small unknown school and that doesn't have a program to get these opportunities and experiences and they actually really appreciate it. They're like some of the best candidates I've ever met in the past came from places that didn't have a program because mm-hmm. they had to go seek out opportunities. So if you come, people come from small program that shouldn't deter them from going for what they want to do, but have to realize it. It is a more of a challenge coming from a place that doesn't have a program. That's interesting, Trip. So I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. But you're right, it must show a lot of commitment and dedication um, on the part of the student coming from a small program to have to seek out those opportunities, whereas maybe a student at a bigger program had it kind of put on their lap for them, which I could also see being the case. So, And, and I do think it has to do with the field. Um, pediatrics is much less of a research-based um, academic field in that way. Uh, than than neurosurgery. So I got maybe one or two questions about it. Um, And for me, nobody seemed to care whether it was published or not. I don't know if that's a pediatrics thing, but they just, you know, I think they were happy that I had done research, varied kinds of research, um, and knew what that was like. And that I didn't have a publication didn't uh, seem to phase them. Well, other than the interview, the actual like application process, I've heard, again, not there yet, so I haven't looked into this too much. I've heard some people like have like a huge thick book, like this their CV. and then like I don't I don't know what to bring because I know I've done like a lot of like extracurricular activities and leadership things and stuff. But my resume right now, first off, it looks terrible. and I don't want to spend like the extra, you know, thousands of dollars or whatever, have someone shape it for me. I don't even know if that's worth it or, or um, what would you guys t- talk about your applications? No, I mean, there, there are many examples online. You can go, I think even the AAMC is pretty good resource, has sample templates and, and just using one of those, creating a nice looking CV, trying to put together kind of everything highlighting through medical school but not being extremely like excessively long and then if you have like a mentor faculty someone at your school with some experience that has 
you know, maybe dean of academic affairs or even if it's uh, not faculty or mentor to look at it and go through it with you, I think is probably the best thing. You don't have to pay thousands of dollars. You can do it yourself and then seek out the advice. Yeah, so. use your resources. For me, um, so when you apply to residencies, you have to take that resume or CV that you worked so hard to, <laughs> that you worked so hard to put together and make it look nice um, and extract it piece by piece to put it into the ERAS system, the online application system. And then you have no control how that system presents it to the programs you're applying to. So your resume prints out this really ugly looking way that the system prints it out for them. Um, the only thing you can do is bring your copy with you on your day of the interview. So I did that, you know, I made my CV look nice, I printed it on nice paper, I brought it with me, and nobody wanted it because it was the same information that they had. Do I put every single conference and seminar and convention that I've been to, or before I was always told, this is before medical school, but like when applying for a job at that point in time, they're like, you've only have enough experience that your resume should be no longer than one page. Now I know it should be longer because I've had more experience, but I don't know what's too long, what's too short. No, that's a good question. Well, first of all, a CV can be longer than a resume, and a CV is just more academic, so we're allowed to do that because we're in an academic field, so it can be a couple pages, but but it does kind of, it matters what you put on it and how important you think it is. Um, personally, I didn't even think to put in conferences that I attended. No, unless should, I organized them. Yeah, you should only you should only put down a conference if you presented at it. Right. Yeah. And and really the C V it's not like you're handing them C V. You're the C V is there for you to use as a resource to actually just put it into ERAS and submit it. So I mean Trip, did you actually give your own version of a CV to any of your interviewers? I did not. Yeah, neither did I. I had like a couple copies right. just in case, but never got asked the whole trail. Absolutely, I mean, right. Yeah, it's just I mean, one time paper. I even tried yes. offering it and they didn't want it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they don't want it. Yeah. They have know. their iPad or whatever, and they can pull up your application. Sometimes they'll have a paper copy. But about the length of the uh, resume or CV, I mean, certainly you don't want it to be terribly long because they just won't read to the end of it. But what you can do is you can group activities. Um, so, for example, I would say I would put all of my volunteer hours, um, like clinic volunteering, I would group them together, uh, even if they were for different organizations or at different for example, at different shelters, and some were pediatric and some were adult. I put those under one cat. I put those under one um, uh, like event or activity, so that it wouldn't take up five spaces or five different activities. But the idea would get through that I have done this amount of volunteering. What was the strangest question you had so far? Huh. I didn't really have terribly strange questions. Um, I just, I did spend, you know, we, at one of my interviews, and this was with a, one of the, actually this was with a program director, we spend the whole time talking politics, Middle East politics. 
I think that was maybe. But other than I didn't get asked any specific strange questions, or maybe I did and I blocked them out (laughs) of my memory already. What questions do you have about interviewing for residency? Let us know and we will ask an expert for you. You can email us at adlib at amsa.org. If you haven't already, please take a moment to subscribe to AMSA AdLib through iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And if you've enjoyed the show, please give us a rating in the iTunes store. AMSA AdLib is brought to you by the American Medical Student Association. I'm your host, Christine Camizio. Pete Thompson and I edited this episode with help from Carol Clark, and special thanks to Perry Sai, Sahar Barchin, Trip Hines, and Janelle Johnson. Joshua Caulfield is the show's executive producer. Dr. Deborah Hall is AMSA's national president. Let us know what topics you'd like to hear covered on AMSA AdLib. We hope you enjoyed the episode and thank you for listening. Improve your performance on rotations. Provide the excellent care that your patients deserve and distinguish yourself among your peers as a student leader in the social mission of medicine. Attend an AMSA fall conference and enhance your professional development by engaging with experts, clinicians, and researchers in topics that aren't well covered in the medical school curriculum. The first AMSA fall conference will be held in New York City on November 14th. The second will be in Chicago on November 21st. For more information, please visit amsafallconference.org.